Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, The Butcher Baker. But first, your true crime headlines. Two bodies found in a wooded area in western Michigan last Friday have been identified as a couple who went missing earlier this month. Authorities said Monday that the deaths of Gary Johnson and Laura Johnson would be listed as homicides. Their bodies were unearthed Friday at Gordneck State Game Area in Portage, about three miles from their home. Portage is about 57 miles south of Grand Rapids. Last Tuesday, Gary's employer notified police of his disappearance after he failed to show up for work. When police entered the Johnsons' home, they found signs of violence. The couple's 27-year-old son is in custody on other charges. In 2018, Laura Johnson got a personal protection order against their estranged son, saying that he needed mental health care. She reported that he had assaulted them, damaged property, and refused to leave their home. Police said that he was found in a storage unit at an apartment building, and he had his parents' car. On Sunday, Metro Denver Crime Stoppers increased the reward to $100,000 for information leading to an arrest in a homicide that happened 21 years ago on Valentine's Day. On February 14, 2000, high school sweethearts 15-year-old Nicholas Kunzelman and 16-year-old Stephanie Hart Grizel were found dead just after midnight in a Subway restaurant just a few blocks from Columbine High School. The murders happened less than a year after the Columbine High School shooting massacre. Nicholas worked at the restaurant, and Stephanie was there waiting for him to finish his shift and close up shop. When another employee drove past the restaurant and noticed that the lights were on, they went inside and found the two teens' bodies behind the counter. The investigation showed that an unknown intruder or intruders had shot the young couple. For the past 21 years, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office has worked the case continuously, and detectives believe that someone knows a key piece of information that could lead to an arrest. The reward had previously been set at $12,000. The increase was thanks in part to contributions by anonymous community members. Sheriff Jeff Schrader said in a press release, quote, with this significantly increased reward, people who haven't come forward with their information will be much more likely to do so now. We are continuing our diligent work to bring justice to Nicholas and Stephanie. Michael Mills, board president of the Metro Denver Crime Stoppers, said, quote, We are hopeful that the increase will result in tips that will lead investigators to the person or persons responsible for this crime and hopefully start the closure process for the family and friends of Nicholas and Stephanie, as well as the community. Anyone with information on this crime is urged to contact Metro Denver Crime Stoppers at 720-913-7867 or metrodenvercrimestoppers.com. Three men wanted in connection with a double homicide in South Carolina have been captured in Winchester, Virginia, 
after leading Virginia troopers on a high-speed chase. Virginia State Police said that the suspects were captured Friday after a trooper patrolling on Interstate 81 in Shenandoah County spotted a vehicle matching the description of a Ford Fusion included in a lookout advisory issued by authorities in Anderson, South Carolina. The trooper waited for additional troopers and initiated a traffic stop. The suspect's vehicle pulled onto the right shoulder before speeding off, leading to a chase. During the pursuit, the Ford Fusion ended up traveling south in the northbound lanes. The pursuit ended when the driver lost control of the vehicle in Frederick County, and the suspect's car went down an embankment and hit a tree. The occupants fled on foot, but were captured a short time later. The driver of the vehicle was identified as 39-year-old Frank T. Rhodes. Rhodes was charged with a felony count of eluding police, reckless driving, and having altered or fictitious license plates on his vehicle. The passengers in the car were identified as 19-year-old Dominic M. Rhodes and 31-year-old William C. Flynn. The three suspects are being held on extradition warrants out of South Carolina. Media reports out of South Carolina indicate that the three men are wanted for murder in the February 6th killings of 24-year-old Dequavius Tillerson and 33-year-old Lorenzo Hunter. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, The Butcher Baker. But first, a quick break. After you've finished binging your favorite true crime podcast, there's always one lingering question staring you in the face. Now what? Sure, you could slip into a Wikipedia wormhole researching everything about this episode. But when your brain or your browser tabs are full to the brim, it might be time to take a breather. That's when I like to clear a few levels of Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games. The game is simple and fun. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way, like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. One of the things that I love about true crime is that the more you dig into the story, the more layers you uncover. And that's what's great about Best Fiends, too. The more I play, the more fun it gets. And with new monthly updates, themed challenges, and holiday puzzles, there's always one more level. And the adventure never gets old. So the next time you need a break from the news cycle, or run out of shows to binge watch, download Best Fiends free. You might find yourself wondering how you ever found time for a dull moment before. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already. It's hours of fun at your fingertips and can even be played offline. This game has 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews for a reason. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. My cat is my best friend, 
And these days, we've been spending a lot more time at home together. And as much as I love her, I'm not fond of the stink bombs that she leaves in her litter box. Everything from cleaning to covering up the smell is a constant battle. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a specialized de-dusting process. Less dust, no fuss. And Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in a small lightweight bag that lasts up to a month. Perfect while we're social distancing. Now that I get litter bags auto-shipped, I don't have to deal with last-minute trips to the store. And shipping is free. But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is this pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors my fur baby's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. You won't find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use the promo code MURDERMINUTE for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com promo code MURDERMINUTE for 20% off. What are you waiting for? Get it right meow at prettylitter.com promo code MURDERMINUTE. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Robert Christian Hansen was born on February 15, 1939, in Esterville, Iowa. His father, a strict, hard-working Danish immigrant who owned a bakery, expected Robert to follow in his footsteps. From a young age, Robert worked long hours in the family bakery. And like many children who were naturally left-handed, Robert was forced to use his right hand instead, developing a lifelong stutter in the process. As a teenager, Robert was painfully shy. And between his speech impediment and a disfiguring case of acne, he was relentlessly mocked by his peers. The other boys at school bullied him, and the girls rejected him. As a result, Robert became a loner, and as an outlet for his anger and frustration, he picked up archery. And over time, Robert became a skilled game hunter. Stalking and killing gave Robert a sense of power and control, a feeling that was missing in the rest of his young life. Once he graduated and turned 18 in 1957, Robert Hansen joined the U.S. Army Reserve, but served only one year before being discharged. From there, Robert moved to Pocahontas, Iowa, where he became an assistant drill instructor at a police academy and met the young woman would become his first wife. They married in 1960, but on December 7th of that same year, 
21-year-old Robert Hansen was arrested for arson. Apparently, Robert was still angry about how he was treated in high school. So he convinced a 16-year-old bakery employee to help him burn down a Pocahontas County Board of Education school bus garage. The boy confessed, and Robert Hansen was sentenced to three years in Anamosa State Penitentiary. During his incarceration, Robert was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, at that time called manic depression, with, quote, periodic schizophrenic episodes. The psychiatrist who made the diagnosis noted that Robert had a, quote, infantile personality and was obsessed with getting revenge against the people that he felt had wronged him. Robert's wife filed for divorce shortly thereafter. They had been married just six months. After serving just 20 months of his sentence, Robert Hansen was released and before long met and married his second wife, Darla, in 1963. Over the next three years, Robert Hansen was jailed several times for petty theft. But Darla stood by him, and the couple went on to have two children together. Finally, in 1967, Robert decided that it was time to leave Iowa and make a fresh start. So he packed up his wife and children and moved the family to Anchorage, Alaska. For a few years, things seemed to be going well in Anchorage. The area was little more than a frontier town in those days, and there was opportunity to go around. Darla found work as a teacher and was active with her church. Robert opened a successful bakery downtown, following in the footsteps of his father. The Hansons were well-liked by their neighbors, and Robert was well-respected, particularly in the big-game hunting community. In 1969, 1970, and 1971, Robert had four animals entered into the Pope and Young record book. He later took flying lessons and got his pilot's license. Eventually, he even bought his own private plane. It seemed as though Robert had finally left the past behind and made something of himself. But before long, Robert Hansen would be back in handcuffs. In the early 1970s, the population of Anchorage exploded. Construction of an 800-mile oil pipeline transformed the city. Sex workers, pimps, and drug dealers traveled from far and wide, hoping to make some money off the oil field workers and pipeline employees now flooding the area, 28,000 of them. Crime skyrocketed. Strip clubs and bars seemed to appear overnight. Many who arrived hoping to strike gold struck out and disappeared just as quickly as they'd arrived. 
few people noticed when sex workers started to disappear. And the Anchorage Police Department were out of their depth. In 1971, Robert Hansen walked up to 18-year-old Susie Heppard as she exited her car at her apartment. He pointed his gun at her face and said, Shut up, sweetheart, or I'll blow your head off. Susie screamed, and her friend inside called the police. Robert ran, but police soon caught up to him. He was arrested, but released, and was later charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Days later, he abducted and raped an exotic dancer from downtown Anchorage. On his way back into town with her in his car, Robert got an idea. He pulled over, pointed his gun at her, and told her to start running. The woman begged Robert not to kill her, promising that she would tell no one what happened. He agreed, but only after forcing her to write down the names and addresses of her family. If she reported him to the police, he said, he would hunt her and her family down and kill them all. She heeded his warning, but when the half-naked body of a girl was found on Christmas Day, she could no longer keep quiet. She reported her abduction and rape and identified Robert Hansen from a photo. Robert was arrested, and on December 29th was arraigned and held on $50,000 bail. But when the family minister and other influential friends in the community came forward as character witnesses for family man and businessman Bob Hansen, and when his attorney attacked the girl's credibility on the grounds that she was a stripper, the charges were ultimately dropped. Robert Hansen received a five-year sentence for the attempted abduction and assault at gunpoint of Susie Heppard. But mere months later, he was out again, placed on work release. In 1975, Robert picked up another dancer. He drove her outside of town, raped her, and let her go. The dancer reported the rape, but declined to press charges. When the trooper who took her statement notified Robert Hansen's parole officer, Robert simply claimed that he thought that he and the dancer were on a date, and his parole officer let it go. In November of 1976, Robert was again sentenced to five years in prison after security guards caught him attempting to shoplift a chainsaw from a department store. But once again, after serving only 16 months in the Juneau Correctional Institute, the Alaska Supreme Court reviewed his case on appeal, and Robert Hansen was again released. In June of 1983, a 17-year-old sex worker named Cindy Paulson, was found running down the street, barefoot and handcuffed. She waved down a truck and was picked up 
by 36-year-old Robert Yacht, who took her to a hotel and telephoned police. At Anchorage Police Headquarters, Cindy told police that she had been held captive by a man who drove a green Buick and told her his name was Bob. The man had offered her $200 for a blowjob in his car, but once she was inside, he abducted her at gunpoint, handcuffed her, and took her to his house, where he chained her by the neck, tortured her, and raped her. When he was getting ready to take me to his cabin, he said that um, there had been seven other girls before me. Cindy said in a police interview with Sergeant Glenn Floth. And that, um, I was lucky because usually the other ones stayed a week. That's why he did it. He said because he used to work on the slopes and that he would come down and spend money for a girl and go to her room for 10 or 15 minutes. And he said, well, he was going to start getting his money's worth. So he felt he should go and get the girl and take her over to his house and do what he pleased with her. There was a bullet hole in the floor. Cindy gave police an incredibly detailed account of her abduction and her escape, and identified Robert Hansen in a photo lineup as her captor. I observed everything, because this motherfucker wasn't getting away with it, Cindy said. I knew I was in trouble, and I really, really, if there was any chance of me getting away, he wasn't getting away with it. Cindy described Robert's house in great detail. It's blue, with a big old picture window, and the whole house is... If you drive down Old Harbor Road, the window's on the right side, and the garage is to the left, she said. There's no trees in the front yard. Inside, she said, there were horns everywhere. Big old antler horns, they're called. That was everywhere in the hole. In the basement, there was fish. There was wolf skin. There was stuffed animals everywhere. Big old, like, caribou and goat's heads. Big ones stuffed everywhere. Ducks and birds Robert tied Cindy to a pillar, and after raping her repeatedly, Robert laid down on the sofa and took a nap. When he woke, he forced Cindy to put her clothes back on, cuffed her again in the back seat of his car, and drove her to the Merrillfield Airport, where he kept his plane. Robert told Cindy, that he was going to fly her up to his cabin in the Alaskan wilderness. He had taken lots of girls there, he said, for fun. But when Robert got out of the car to prepare the plane, Cindy saw her opportunity. When his back was turned, she made a run for it, leaving her blue shoes behind as evidence. Stop, you bitch! Stop or I'll kill you! He shouted after her, but Cindy kept running. Within hours of her escape, police were at Robert Hansen's door, 
but he denied the incident had happened. Robert admitted that he'd met the prostitute, but claimed that she was setting him up because he had refused to pay her extortionate demands. You can't rape a prostitute, he said. Robert told police that he and another friend had been at John Sumrall's home at the time of Cindy's supposed abduction. Both of his friends backed up his story, providing Robert with an alibi. It was the word of a teenage prostitute against that of two highly regarded Anchorage businessmen. And somehow, despite his history of assaults on women, Robert Hansen was released. By September of 1983, the bodies had begun to pile up. Over the previous several years, Detective Glenn Floth, who interviewed Cindy, had been part of a team of state troopers investigating the disappearance of a number of prostitutes and the discovery of several bodies in the wilderness outside of Anchorage. And investigators were beginning to suspect that they were dealing with a serial killer. The first of the bodies was found by construction workers near Aklutna Road. They called the unidentified woman Aklutna Annie. Next, they found the body of Joanna Messina in a gravel pit near Seward. Then, the body of 23-year-old Sherry Morrow was discovered in a shallow grave near the Nick River. Floth contacted the FBI and criminal profiler John Douglas, whose story was later made famous by the Netflix series Mindhunter, was brought in to assist the investigation. Douglas theorized that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem and a history of being rejected by women. That he would have a trophy room where he would keep not only the mounted heads of his animal game, but souvenirs from his victims as well. Douglas even theorized that the killer might have acne and a stutter. They would also find the rifle that ballistically matched the bullets in the victims, Douglas predicted, as long as they could obtain a warrant. There was no longer any doubt. Floth knew that it was Robert Hansen. Police obtained the search warrant, and on October 27, 1983, police searched the Hansen family's house, Robert's cars, and his plane. The house matched Cindy's witness description exactly. And inside, investigators found jewelry belonging to the victims, newspaper clippings about the murders, and an array of firearms, just as Douglas had predicted. Hidden behind Robert's headboard, investigators also found an aeronautical chart marked with 24 little X's. 
many of the marks indicated sites where the bodies had previously been found. It would lead to several more. When confronted with the evidence found in his home, Robert Hansen finally confessed. He had been on a killing spree for over a decade, starting in 1971. At first, Robert attacked any young woman who caught his eye. But then, he realized that prostitutes and strippers were easier to abduct and less likely to be reported missing. In all, he confessed to murdering 17 women and raping 30. The press called him the Butcher Baker. Mr. Hansen would abduct the women and take them to remote places outside the city. Sometimes he would drive, and other times he would fly his private plane. A licensed pilot, Mr. Hansen told investigators that one of his favorite spots to take his victims was the Nick River, northeast of Anchorage, wrote the Washington Post. Sometimes, Robert would return the women to Anchorage. If they came across with what I wanted, Robert said, we'd come back to town. I'd tell them if they made any trouble for me, I had connections, and would have them put in jail for being prostitutes. But if they failed to comply with his demands, resisted or demanded payment, for instance, he would kill them. Sometimes he flew them out into the wilderness, forced them to strip, and released them, hunting them down like animals with his rifle, stalking them sometimes for days. In 1983, when he abducted Cindy, Robert decided to, quote, save time and energy by luring victims to his home. He sent his wife and children off on a European vacation and ran singles ads in the paper, seeking women to, quote, join me in finding what's around the next bend, over the next hill. He called it his summer project. On February 18, 1984, Robert Christian Hansen pleaded guilty to four counts of first-degree murder in the cases of Eklutna Annie, Joanna Messina, Sherry Morrow, and Paula Golding. As part of a plea bargain, he agreed to show police where the graves of the other murdered women were. Twelve were found. On February 27, 1984, Superior Court Judge Ralph E. Moody sentenced Robert Hansen to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. Mrs. Hansen filed for divorce. For a time, she and the children tried to remain in Anchorage, but after two years of the children being bullied at school, they left Alaska. Hansen has been the subject of numerous documentaries and TV series, and was most notably portrayed by John Cusack 
in the 2013 film The Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage and Vanessa Hudgens. Although officials at Pope and Young initially stated that Robert Hansen's crimes did not invalidate his bow-hunting records, they have since removed his name from their record books. On August 21, 2014, Robert Hansen died of natural causes. He was 75. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Stereo at Murder Minute.